Welcome to another episode of the Access Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling from Paycor Stadium in Cincinnati, where the Vikings lost in overtime 27 to 24, and we didn't record this three years ago. No, we did not. Uh, <laughs> last time we were here, they lost at Paul Brown Stadium. Now it's the new and improved 27-24 overtime loss by the foot of Evan McPherson at Paycor Stadium. That's right. Different game, different coaching staff, same result, um, and similar sets of mistakes from a lot of the losses we've seen this season. It really is. Yeah, we see Nick Mullins take over. He does bring the offense back to life a little bit, but then has two basically red zone interceptions, critical plays in the first half that leave the Vikings winning only 7-3. to three. In the first half, they probably should have been winning more from. Um, the defense gives up uncharacteristic plays late to kind of contribute to it. This felt like one of those games that we keep talking about how the Vikings play only one-score games and the margin's always so thin. Can the margin get any thinner than what this one was? No, probably. I mean, the margin in this one literally was an inch, yeah. depending on how you saw it, I suppose. With And yes, we're talking about the tush pushes. The failed tush pushes at the end of the game uh, had one of those hit. Um, the Vikings had already stopped the Bengals, so if that drive continues, it's very possible they are driving for a game-winning field goal that they would win the game 27-24. to 24. Instead, they get stopped. Bengals convert a third and nine on a 44-yard pass to Tyler Boyd, and then McPherson ends it a couple of plays later. Yeah, and that 30 or 44-yard pass to Tyler Boyd, Byron Murphy said, "I my fingers were on it." Yeah, so that's yeah. how close. I said, "Was it like within a fingertip?" He said, "No, less than that." And I had my hands on it. He just ripped it away uh, as he was kind of made that diving leap yep. to try and swat yeah, it. Yeah, he dove down. and tried to knock it out. Um, and then Boyd ends up kind of turning up field, and it's it's just over from there. And you had the T. Higgins leaping touchdown. Uh, 21 yarder over Caleb Evans. You had the third and 21 conversion from Jamar Chase in breaker, in which Jake Browning said after the game that was open because he thought because of the miss I had to Charlie Jones earlier in the game, the deep one, the go route that should have been wide open touchdown. Oh yeah, like sailing yeah. into the end zone for the Bengals. He so said he thought that backed them off. He said that when we went back into a similar deep situation, third and long, where we we were going to strike deep, he said I could tell that they backed off that middle coverage more. He said they're playing too deep and dropping the deep the one guy in the middle deep. And he said this time you could tell they were way deep, and so then the dig route was open underneath, and uh, that's just something where you sh- you could see how one missed play early affects these things late and if you're a fan yelling at home why is that dig wide open it's because well the vikings almost gave up a giant touchdown early in this game and this wasn't joe burrow playing this was jake browning this was former minnesota viking backup jake browning who could still be in a different universe still in minnesota uh had he not been let go two years ago had uh kellen mond not needed a roster spot because (laughs) kellen mond was a third round pick that's right. The Vikings let go Jake Browning summer of 2021. They had him as their backup, their number two. They had just drafted Kellen Mond. Um, I had to go back and remember how this all went down because of everything that happened that summer. But Jake Browning ends up getting released. Summer of Jake Browning all-time quarterback. That's right. That was the summer where I remember after a night practice where Kirk gets or Kellen Mond gets COVID, Kirk's a close contact. Right? I think that's yep. how it went. Yeah, and I think Nate Stanley was too. Um, something like that. Someone got COVID and everyone was a close contact or something like that. Anyway, three quarterbacks, as you mentioned, are out because of COVID in that game or the practice, night practice in front of the fans. Jake Browning goes in, 
has to take every rep, gets doused in water uh, from his teammates after work because of how good he does. And um, Garrett Bradbury said tonight after this this loss, he said, I remember back that night at practice, he said, the coaches basically said after that, he said, Jake, you're the number two. Going into this season, you're going to be the number two. Uh, he's As far as Garrett recalled, that was just bona fide. Like, that's how he saw it. That's how players understood it. And then when cutdown day came, the front office said, well, we're going to keep our third-round Kellen Mond draft pick on the roster. We're going to expose Jake to waivers. And then what happened was Sean Mannion becomes available, gets cut by the Seahawks. Rick Spielman goes, or somebody in the front office under Rick Spielman goes, Ah, well, let, let's get Mannion instead of Browning. So they bring Mannion in. That's how Browning a week later ends up in Cincinnati on their practice squad is just a guy. And then that's how he ends up two years later here throwing 324 yards. I was shocked by this. He's just the second passer to throw for over 300 yards against Brian Flores this year. Grand Casino would like to take a moment and salute the true football fan. The passion. The hope. The anticipation, that incomparable feeling of winning. Grand Casino would also like to take a moment to remind you that you can find all that anticipation, thrill, and winning at Grand Casino. Grand Casino, let your story begin. Yeah, and I think he's like the first passer to throw for, I think it's like a thousand some yards with a 70% completion percentage. Uh, in NFL history, or at least since 1950, I think Kevin Seifert had a stat on this after the game from wow. ESPN Stats and Information. Yeah. So he's played awfully well. Um, you know, he made some some decisions today too that the Vikings had opportunities to take advantage of, and and certainly did on the uh, Caleb Evans interception. Yeah. But he kept them around. I mean, some of those he's throwing up prayers and saying, "I'm going to give my guy a chance." The and, T. Higgins won the touchdown. Yeah. Yep. Just like. Pop it up. Yep. I think it was like an all-out blitz, and he just yes. had to like. Yeah, he was retreating from it and kind of just threw it up. Yeah. So, you know, you could probably look at that play and say, okay, knock it down or intercept it. And Evans was had a beat on that ball, but then uh, Higgins comes back, kind of recovers in time to get between – Evans and the ball and kind of boxes him out a little bit similar to what we saw with Makai Blackman and Cortland Sutton a few weeks ago in Denver but you know if you're throwing up prayers like that it should be within the realm of possibility that your defensive backs can make a play on it so that's I think we've seen a couple of those where there's some youthfulness in the secondary and it kind of comes back to burn him in those spots. Yeah, just not being able to high point it or yeah. a more accomplished guy, knowing when to jump, the timing yep. of it all. Exactly. Um, yeah, it, it, this is it's rare to see these plays made against this defense, which is why it stood out that three of those big pass plays, the chase catch on third down, the Higgins touchdown, and then the Boyd catch, three different players even, come in the fourth quarter in overtime. Yep. That really kind of sunk their chances here. So they're, they're at 7-7 seven and seven after this game. You asked Kevin O'Connell, you're going to stick with Nick Mullins? And he, he wanted to almost say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he kind of stopped himself and said, well, I got to go back and look at it. Yeah. I, I mean, he he kind of made it seem like, yeah, we'll go back and look at it. But it doesn't – I can't expect they're going to move away from him. I mean, he looks more capable of running the offense in a way that they want it than what they've had and you know people will talk about Jaron Hall I just don't think they're going to do that at this point 
Um, I would expect Mullen starts against the Lions. And yeah, O'Connell basically was pretty close to saying, yeah, oh, that's absolutely what it's going to be. But um, you know, we'll, we'll probably get an answer to that question in the next couple of days rather than tonight. But I don't expect the answer will change much from what we would have heard today. It seemed kind of like coach speak almost to revert back to the, oh, no, don't give him anything. You got to tell him. Oh, no, I got to evaluate. Um, But no, the offense was more on track. It wasn't lights out by any means, but you put up 24 points with Brian Flores in this defense. That's typically enough to win a game. On the road against a playoff caliber team with a quarterback in Browning who's, as you said, putting up chances for everybody, (laughs) offense and defense, but these receivers are good enough that they'll take those chances and, and run with them. Um, I think the offense did show some life. We haven't even mentioned Ty Chandler yet, somebody who came in here and had, a, a as you brought up, this was like a career rushing day under Kevin O'Connell. Yes, the largest, I think he had 132 yards, the largest single-game performance by a running back in the last two years under Kevin O'Connell. Only the third time the Vikings have had a running back go over 100 yards. Dalvin Cook, I think, was 119 and 111 last year against Buffalo and Arizona, respectively. So it hasn't happened often yeah. because they haven't probably committed to the run that much. And they also just have had times where they haven't run it all that effectively. But I thought Chandler did an awfully nice job today. And if they get Alexander Madison back soon, I'm curious to see how that goes because I, I think Chandler certainly did enough to suggest that he should be a bigger part of that rotation, if not have an even larger role than that, than he's had so far. It was, I think you pointed out a couple times that he's still playing as the up back on punts. And uh, I suppose some of that is they've faked to him at times and they want to have him available for those things. But um, yeah, awfully good day for him, though this probably is a good segue to the fact that he did not get the ball on their final two offensive plays. We have not probably talked about the yeah. the push sneaks yeah. uh very much and uh that ended up being a fairly uh pivotal <laughs> stretch right. in that game yeah you're right and i thought the explanation was interesting in terms of why they decided after the third and one fail to do the exact same thing um why was brandon powell and this is a question a lot of fans broadcasters have what was Kevin O'Connell's explanation for why it was Brandon Powell doing the pushing of the tush? Yeah, he said <laughs> that they wanted to stay in 11 personnel, which is one running back, one tight end, three receivers, yeah. so that the Bengals wouldn't counter with a heavier set and kind of a goal line defense yeah. and you know, possibly be able to stop it that way. So that's why he did it on both of those plays. I imagine well I don't imagine I've seen it all evening on Twitter fans don't like that explanation um, you can argue that's overthinking it and saying let's just put your big people up front and go try to make the play and if you stop us you stop us yeah. um, the second one of those Garrett Bradbury got defeated uh, pretty quickly got put on the ground by BJ Hill I believe and uh, there wasn't a lot of room for Mullins on the second one anyway. So, um, you know, the, the the Powell thing is worth noting. Yeah. You can argue that's that may be overthinking it, and why isn't C.J. Ham back there if, you know, you play him enough in third-down situations as a pass protector, they probably could have put him back there too. Um, but that was, that was the explanation he gave to it and then said – the reason for running it twice and not handing it off was 
when you only need five or six inches, he didn't want to have a play that took longer to develop by having the quarterback take the ball from under center, hand it off to the running back, and then possibly get stopped in the backfield. Yeah, so he wanted sneaks there regardless yep. of what form it took, yep. if it was Powell pushing him or just a standard. Because Nick Mullins converted a couple sneaks on second downs earlier in the game that were not of the Philly variety, brotherly shove kind of thing. It was just straight up sneak. And that came in different circumstances. Obviously, wasn't. I don't think either of them were third down. These were third, fourth down. Um, that, to me, talk about overthinking it, which is exactly what I'm going to do. Um they're doing that three wide receiver push thing, right? Because they know they're overmatched typically up front. This yeah. is a finesse interior yes. line outside of Ed Ingram. This is not a power, you know, front. You're not dealing with Jason Kelsey in the middle of that thing. Yeah. So, like, I see why they're doing it because you're thinking, well, we're already at a disadvantage up front. Let's try to get him in a set that at least equals that advantage or evens it out a little bit. So maybe we can just get, you know, the fall forward kind of advantage there and, and pick up the yardage. So I guess I understand what they're doing there. At the same time, if you're that weak or that concerned about being that weak up front, yeah, why are you leaning on that two times in a row, I guess? And who knows what else he had kind of at his fingertips or what other plays he was thinking about in that time. But I think of the fake tush push they did earlier in the game that set up Ty Chandler's one-yard run. I'm not saying that you can keep going back to everything and it always works, but that worked pretty well. Yeah, the one where he had the swing pass. Yeah, and and I guess O'Connell answered it in his answer and saying, I didn't even want to take the chance of the quarterback turning his back to the defense and prolonging the play. So he wanted to – seemingly O'Connell was trying to take the risk out of the situation by just saying, you know what, just plow forward. Yeah, and I guess to that point, I mean, if you – are somebody that wants to criticize the thinking there. If he's saying, I don't want to take the chances. I just want to run a sneak. I I think you could come back with, well, okay, then why not just say, I'm not going to overthink it. I'm going to put my biggest people. I'm going to put Josh Oliver and CJ ham behind Nick Mullins. And I don't care. We're just going to, plow forward and get a first down that way i mean you you could you could argue that i think um this stuff gets a little um tricky i think in the sense that you know when when he gives an explanation people are saying well that i don't like the explanation yeah yeah I, i that's part of the part of the gig um if he gives an explanation the ability to say well why didn't you do something different? I mean, it's like because that he felt it was the best thing in the moment to do, and he's the guy that is the head coach of the team, and he is the guy who ultimately have to answer for those decisions if they don't work often enough. You know, people lose their jobs over those types of things if they don't work. Um, he has a buddy in in Los Angeles that lost a job in part because of fourth down decisions that didn't work very often, and I'm not saying we're anywhere near that, but my point is. Some of this stuff turns into, uh, well, I would have done something different. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's that's maybe true. There's probably a lot of people that would say I would do it different. Um, he does not need to do something differently because his decision is not popular if he believes it's the right one. Yeah, I um, I would have because if you look at those the, those situations are obviously massive they're massive leverage situations that's why we're talking about them you know i would 
say that I was scratching my head more about stuff like having Jefferson throw the football on third down near the red zone. Yeah. Or like when the Bengals did the exact same thing in the exact same area of the field with a tight end. Right. They thought, you know, we're going to, and you know what, the Jefferson thing, like the tight end who became Daniel Hunter's 14th victim of the year and securing a million dollar bonus for him. I need to go back, actually make a correction because I wrote that Jake Browning was sacked five times. He was not. (laughs) He was sacked four times because Tanner Hudson was sacked one. Bengals quarterbacks were sacked five times. I totally forgot about that. That was Hunter got his 14th and a half sack of the year on Tanner Hudson because of a trick play. And and I go back and talk about the Vikings trick play in the same quarter. I think it was Um, Jefferson had Osborne open. It was just pressure. And so whatever, like it's those things where like, if that works, if Powell somehow pushes Mullins across the line or the refs, because clearly O'Connell had a problem with the spot or if the refs on on the the, third down on on the first spot. Yeah. O'Connell clearly had a problem with where they put that spot after the third down sneak. If that spot is a little different um, or it's in a situation where it can be challenged, maybe it does become different because in overtime it can't be challenged. I don't believe it can. I think everything has to be automatically reviewed. And O'Connell said afterwards that they had communicated to him that they did look at it. Yeah. So obviously that wasn't like somebody going under the hood. But, but uh, upstairs, somebody was yeah. evaluating it and told him, no, we already looked at it. So O'Connell, because O'Connell said, I was going to call a timeout. Yep. If the, it, to give them time to look at it if they weren't. Yes. Seemed like Brian Flores on the sideline was trying to tell him to call a timeout. Yep. But O'Connell said after the game, like, I was already assured that this was yeah. the spot. Then I'm just wasting a timeout yeah. for something they're not going to revisit anyway. Yeah. So it's just kind of a hectic end to, to a game that certainly could have gone um, either way. But the Vikings now find themselves in nothing but one score games. It's seven, it's seven and seven um, facing three uh, divisional games here at the end and a Detroit Lions team that's playing as we speak. Probably. Um, if Detroit wins tonight, which if you're listening to this, you probably already know if they won, they can clinch the NFC North at U.S. Bank Stadium next Sunday. If the Lions lost, they obviously can't do that. Um, right? Yes, that is true. And it also sets up a scenario. We were talking about this, I think, a little bit earlier today. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater <laughs> has, I think, posted about this on Instagram, but Dave Burkett from the Detroit Free Press, their longtime beat writer, had a really good story today on Bridgewater. He's basically going to retire, go spend time with his kids and coach high school football after this season. He's going to be done. There is a possibility that if the Lions are locked into the three seed by week 18, the Vikings are in a must-win game to go to the playoffs against Teddy Bridgewater. Against Theodore Bridgewater. Against Theodore Edward Bridgewater. It was supposed to be you, Theodore. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, we we get Jake Browning today. We get Teddy Bridgewater possibly in a couple weeks. We presumably have Mike Zimmer watching this probably from like 20 miles southeast, I think, of here. Something like that. So, yeah, lots of trips down memory lane today. Yeah, really, yeah, there were there were quite a bit. Irv Smith even. Irv Smith, yeah. Being targeted on an interception. Yeah. Helping the Vikings out. How about that? <laughs> so the Vikings, even though they lose this game, I was playing with the New York Times, like, you know, playoff predictor, whatever you can, you know, losses, put in losses, put in wins for the remaining games. And even if they lose this game like they did today, the chances are still pretty good that they make the playoffs if they just win one of these NFC North games that are remaining. Just one. Yeah, they could beat Green Bay and lose to Detroit both times in being, what would it be, eight to nine. Yep. 
because of your NFC record, With seven it, wins in the NFC, it gives you a pretty good chance of getting in and beating a, a three-way tiebreaker or whatever. So, um, oh boy, <laughs> yeah, like the Vikings just need to win one of these games. Like it's not even dire straits because of how mediocre the NFC is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I think you could make the case that if they continue to um, fritter away opportunities, that pretty soon it will be dire straits because. Yeah. The Lions certainly could beat them. The Packers looked like a mess on Monday night against the Giants, but the Packers have overall looked better. I mean, that Giants game came after they won back-to-back against the Chiefs and the well, the Lions on Thanksgiving and then the Chiefs on Sunday night. So they have looked better. They come in Sunday night in two weeks to U.S. Bank Stadium. It's not impossible they put it together and, and play better than they did. I mean, they did not play very well against the Vikings at Lambeau Field at the end of October. But, you know, if the Vikings aren't in a position to close these games when they have them in front of them, because it's the third time in four weeks now they have blown a lead in the final two minutes of a game. That's a good point. And if you win one of those, two of them, you're – pretty much assured of going to the playoffs and you're probably still fighting for the nfc north as it is they're back in this sort of well they've got seven losses and tiebreaker stuff and they're in a good position with tiebreakers but they don't have to be cutting it this close and the reason they are is a lot of these things with the turnovers and blown leads late that kind of just keep coming up over and over Absolutely. Well, thank you guys for checking out this episode of the podcast. We will talk to you next time on Wednesday as the Vikings prepare to host the Detroit Lions on Christmas Eve. Please check out all of our work at startribune.com.